The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. At the risk of stating the obvious, Advent starts very soon. And when we pause and consider how the church determines the dates and the times of the season of the year, there is something surprising about the beginning of Advent. Because as we know, Advent has four Sundays to it and it leads up to the celebration of Christmas. And so one would think that one finds December 25th on the calendar, counts back four Sundays, and bang, you have the first Sunday of Advent. It makes perfect sense. And yet that is not how we do it. The church works from the other side of Christmas. The church looks at the calendar and finds the 30th day of November, which is the Feast of St. Andrew. And then it finds the Sunday closest to that. And that is the first Sunday of Advent every year. It's the same result whichever way you do it, but the official way, and it's interesting, is related to the feast that we celebrate today. The Feast of St. Andrew is used to determine the starting date of Advent. And it begs the question of, why would we do that? Why would we tie the beginning of the season of Advent to the feast of St. Andrew the fisherman? And as we recognize that, and the question presents itself to us, we have a marvelous window into the importance of the feast that we celebrate today and the importance of this particular apostle. One doesn't hear much pious conversation in the broader Catholic world in our present day about Andrew the Apostle. Let's be honest. If we start listing the saints that are popular among us in great number, the names of the apostles normally don't even come up. Maybe Peter, maybe Jude, but the others seem to fall by the wayside. And as you note with the celebrations we've been having lately in the church, there are a number of incredibly significant figures for Christian history that we've celebrated about whom we speak little or know very little. And yet, know what the church says. The immediate popularity of any particular saint, any particular holy person, good as that is and important as that is, is also relativized by the fact that there are others who arguably had a greater impact on Christian history. 
among those the apostles. And so note that we celebrate this feast with the use of the Gloria, which we don't use for the memorials ordinarily of saints. But for the apostles we do, and it's a recognition that this feast ranks higher because the place and the impact of this person on the life of the church, the history of the Christian people, does rank higher than the impact of so many others. And it's not to say that they're unimportant, but that on some levels the impact of other saints flows from the impact of the apostles. And so we have Andrew. And among the apostles, Andrew has a singular status. He's the first. Even though in our gospel reading today we hear Simon Peter mentioned first, the first of the apostles is Andrew. This is why the church from a very early day called him the Protocletus, the Protocletus, the first of the called. Because John, as John the Baptist began preaching, among those who responded with a particular intensity to the preaching of John the Baptist was Andrew, who became his disciple. And note already what this says, as the Gospels contrast the bold preaching of the Baptist and the lack of response on so many, especially the religious authorities of the day, Andrew was among those who not only responded, but committed himself. And the message of the Baptist was, I am preparing for one who is greater than myself. And this is what Andrew the fisherman embraced, that there is one who is coming. And note right away how that sets us up for the celebration of Advent. There is one who is coming and I must make myself ready for him. And so it is on the very day after which Jesus was baptized, Andrew is with John the Baptist. The Lord passes by. The Baptist simply indicates that this is the Lamb of God, and Andrew follows. And again, note how remarkable that is and how important that is. Before Peter follows, before the others follow, there is Andrew and another disciple whose name is not mentioned. And they begin following after Jesus simply because the Baptist says, this is the one. And as they watch the Lord and move behind him in their curiosity, it is Jesus who turns and looks at them. And this too is marvelous. It reminds us whenever we look at Jesus, he does look back. And he does look at us. And it is they who, the Lord, and the Lord turns to him, he says, what are you seeking? Andrew's response is, Lord, where do you stay? And then the Lord calls him, come, come with me and you will see. And so these are the ones, the first to spend time with Jesus after he is baptized. And note, the apostolic witness begins with the baptism of the Lord, 
and the very first of those to bear that witness is the one who is with the Lord on the day after his baptism. And it is Andrew the very next day who, having spent time with the Lord, is the first to go out and bring someone to Christ. And that would be his brother, St. Peter. And note again then what we see with Andrew, the first to follow, the first to be called, and the first to take the message of salvation out and to bring someone in. What a remarkable series of examples this is from the very beginning of the Lord's ministry. It is something that carries through the life of this apostle. Time and again, if we read the Gospels with attention, we see that Andrew is not merely the brother, not merely the tag-along with St. Peter, but that Andrew has a particular agency among the apostles. On that day when the Lord in the desert area says, don't send the people away, let's feed them. As the other apostles are throwing up their hands saying, how is that even going to work? It is Andrew who brings forward the boy with the loaves and the fish. And note again, what do we see? He has an eye for that one who can contribute. He finds him and he brings him. Later on, as the Lord is preaching in Jerusalem, before he will lay down his life for us in Holy Week, we hear that there are a group of Greeks who want to see Jesus. And what do they do? They find the only apostle with a Greek name, Philip, and they figure he's the inside guy. And they go to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. And curiously, what does Philip do? He goes and finds Andrew. The bureaucracy of the church goes way back. <laughs> but again, note what this says. If you really want to see the Lord, there's one of us who can get you there. If you really want to see the Lord, there's one who for whatever reason gets you closer than the rest of us. It's a remarkable, remarkable series of events. This is why St. Andrew is also considered to be the patron of vocation directors. But note that Scripture shows us time and time again that this man has a particular way of bringing others into direct, immediate, intimate contact with Christ, beginning with his own brother, who on the one level has the more important job, he becomes the vicar of Christ on earth. And yet he didn't get to Jesus on his own. His relationship with Jesus began through the initiative of his brother. This is in no small measure why the church chooses this marvelous reading from St. Paul today, which on the one hand can be applied to all of the apostles, but in a very particular way must be applied to Andrew. How can one call on the Lord if they do not know him? How can one know the Lord if one has never heard about him? And how will one 
hear about the Lord if no one speaks about him, if no one preaches? And how will there be preaching if no one is sent? And so what do we see? The one who is first called is, in a curious way, the first one to be sent. He goes forth from the Lord, he finds Peter, and he announces, the one we have been waiting for is here. And so it is that Peter hears so that he can begin to know. He hears because one has gone forth to announce and proclaim. And out of that proclamation, there is a response. This is truly wonderful because we see here the importance of preaching, the importance of one going forth to announce even for the apostles themselves. John is sent by God, he announces. Andrew responds. The Lord is present, Andrew responds. Out of his meeting with the Lord, his further response is to go, to seek, and to bring. Small wonder then, that it is to these that the Lord says, I will make you fishers of men. You will go forth and you will seek them, and you will gather them and you will bring them in. But we see already in miniature, that's what Andrew has done. He goes forth, he seeks, he finds, and he brings. And so it is then that after the resurrection and after Pentecost, as the apostles disperse to pronounce to the nations, Andrew does likewise. Traveling into ancient Scythia, which is the modern area of Kazakhstan in the world today, moving from there into Greece, announcing the gospel with forcefulness and with vigor and converting nations. He has been sent, and he preaches. And note what St. Paul says. Those who truly preach are those who are truly sent. And so it is that the apostles, the word meaning those who are sent, First they are called, then they are sent. They are sent by the Lord, they are sent by his church, and they root the gospel in these areas so that people have a chance to respond. Notice what St. Paul says. If the preaching has happened, and if they have heard, the response or the lack of response is on them. But first they must hear that they have a chance. And what we see in Andrew is the truth of something that we Christians in the modern age often ignore to our detriment and to our peril. St. Paul writes, if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, you are saved. And we often can reduce that to a formula, believing that if I simply say, I take the Lord as, I take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am good. And that's not true. Anyone can say that. It doesn't require great faith or great belief to say that. Note the combination. It is not simply a matter of having the magic formula on my lips. It is a matter of having a faith in my heart 
that produces a statement with my lips that is more than simply me saying, I am doing this for me. Rather, it is a statement that has an impact in the world. In other words, faith must visibly manifest itself. Faith in some way produces a certain degree of proclamation. To say it with my lips is not simply to repeat certain words that guarantee something for me. It is to live in such a way that my belief in Jesus is a visible and compelling reality. This is the essence of apostolic witness. It is not merely a matter of testimony. It is not merely a matter of repeating what was heard. That's all important. It was a matter more fully of speaking out of a treasury of faith in the heart that produced a great impact on the world. And this treasury of faith in the heart, unless you believe in the heart, the apostle says, we're going nowhere. And that belief in the heart is not reducible to a formula that we repeat. That belief in the heart is something that produces an outward moving witness in our lives. So it is that as the day of his martyrdom draws near and an X-shaped cross was prepared upon which the apostle Andrew would hang. And as Andrew is being led out and from a distance he looks forward and he sees where he's going and he sees the cross that is already set up to receive him. That instrument of torture and horror. The remarkable thing about Andrew is he is still speaking out of the desire to know the one who is greater than himself. And at this moment on seeing the cross, unlike the natural reaction which would come to so many of us, which would be a certain trepidation, a certain fear, a certain, un a certain doubt about my ability to meet it. Andrew, on the other hand, shocked his executioners by crying out for joy. And imagine that. All of the accounts of the end of Andrew's life agree on this that when he saw the cross, his heart burst out with joy. Imagine that. This man who spent his life preaching, this man who spent his life giving witness, this man who called so many to himself was still seeking after something. Because on seeing the cross, he cried out, Oh, good cross, oh, beautiful cross, so long desired, so recently found. What a remarkable statement that is. It's the voice of a man who has found a treasure he has been seeking all of his life. And we see here again the essence of that statement, unless you believe with your heart. Unless one falls in love, in a sense, with the Lord in his fullness and his mystery, 
and the great sign of that mystery, the cross. And so Andrew looks at that cross because there is no faith in Jesus that doesn't involve faith in what he does for us on his cross. And so Andrew, who preached salvation, looks forward because he desires still salvation for himself. He doesn't simply say, I'm saved. He recognizes that he still must seek after salvation, he who has come to faith, because he will not take it for granted. He will not take it lightly. And so the cross is that sign. It's looking at the cross. Oh, good cross. Oh, beautiful cross. So long desired. So recently found. You who are beautiful and adorned as with jewels for having borne and been adorned by the limbs of the Savior. You are made beautiful because the beauty of Christ hung upon you. You are made valuable and precious because Christ adorned you with himself. Note again the language. I come to you so that he who redeemed me by you may receive me from you. It's a remarkably beautiful and powerful statement. I go to you because you will give me to Christ. And there is no better way for me to offer myself and for him to receive me than to receive me from you, upon whom he redeemed me. This desire for salvation, this desire for unity with Christ, and note, it was never that he said, I'm not saved. It was rather salvation must be lived. And to live it fully, it must be sought every day. Note how wonderfully, again, this drops us off at the doorstep of Advent, which prov should provoke in the Christian heart a certain desire to be with the Lord, a certain desire for the fullness of salvation, a certain desire for an intimate union with Christ. Andrew hung on the cross for two days. And he kept preaching. And so the end of his life is literally hanging on the cross and preaching as if he is standing in a pulpit. The pulpit of the cross, proclaiming from the cross the truth of salvation, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus Christ has done. And because his time on the cross was so very long, the guards got tired, his disciples and his followers came by, and they said, you know, we can get you down from there. And Andrew said, no, you're not. You are going to leave me here. You are going to leave me here because this is where my life will be poured out. Because my life has been moving here to this 
point of union with the Lord. Do not rob me of this. Do not take this treasure from me. He died on November 30th, hence his feast day today. And note how in the providential working of the Lord, he dies on the doorstep of what the church would later call the season of Advent. This one who, out of his desire for the Lord, began to be the first of his followers. This one who is the first to bring another to the Lord. This one who at the end of his life in such a mighty and powerful and compelling way, from a cross which unites him to the Lord, preaches the truth of the Lord in a way that the nations themselves hear and respond. And how wonderful it is that we who gather today on his feast gather in this place where from the altar that same Lord who has given his life for us on the cross meets us here. And we get to come forward and stretch out our hands to him in the full mystery of his self-giving. And by the intercession of St. Andrew, perhaps today as we come forward to receive him, our hearts can be quickened with a bit of the apostle's joy. O cross of self-giving, O self-giving of Jesus that saves me, I long for you. And even as I receive you today in this great sacrament, may the Lord receive me in this sacrament too, because here salvation comes. Amen.